Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank the Lord. Thank you. That's right. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Praise God so worthy. Right? We worship him the way that we do because God deserves it and so much more. And it's really not about us, is it? Right? Okay, I thought I should get an amen on that one. It's really not about us. <laughs> yes, it's really not. This morning we're going to go to Acts chapter 8, so turn in your Bibles there in the time we have together. Very simple, very simple statement to start with. God loves you. He does. And God also loves all those around you. God loves your neighbor. God loves your family members. God loves your co-workers. He loves your friends. He loves them too. Right? You know, God is such a good lover that sometimes we forget that he actually loves others as well. He's so good. He's so good at loving us. And the truth is we can soak it in and soak it in and soak it in and, and we can and we should. It's wonderful. Oh, and God will just keep pouring it out. He will. Because he's such a good lover, but we don't want to forget that he also loves others too. I'm not the only one on the planet. And so, next month, New River Fest, we're really wanting to share God's love and see God's love impact Manchester, at least. We're going to start here and really pour efforts into where God has called us to serve. I believe that we're not here by accident. And so, we've been preparing for that. We felt like because August is such a big deal... We've got to prepare for it, and so this whole month of July, we've been doing that, and three weeks ago, we passed out these pink cards, and you were to put the names of three people on this card that you're praying for to who don't yet know Jesus, and we're, we are giving them by name before the throne of God every day, trusting that God is at work and that it will only be a matter of time before these precious ones that we love will discover the same joy that we've discovered in Jesus. So we're praying for them. It starts with prayer. It continues with prayer. It keeps on going with prayer. It never ends with prayer. It's just prayer is the found, it's really the, it's the blood, you know? And then last Sunday we talked about how, how, uh, well, we talked about how we can, certain things we could be looking for to discover whether or not God's at work in a person's life. And we looked at the story of Zacchaeus last week. And uh, remember, Zacchaeus was the short guy that was climbed the tree in order to see Jesus. And so it's pretty obvious that Zacchaeus was hungry for God. I mean, he climbed the tree looking for God, right? So that's a pretty clear one. And then we talked about some of the other things that we could be looking for that Jesus would have seen in Zacchaeus that would have said, this guy is ready to go. He's ready to talk, ready to deal. That was last Sunday. But now this morning, I want to talk about what about if somebody's not so obvious? Because let's face it, most of the time, it's not obvious. Most of the time, it's not Zacchaeus climbing a tree. And so that I call soul noodling. That's where the title of this morning's message comes from. I'm noodling for souls. I'm kind of testing the waters. Do you know what noodling is? It's it's a redneck form of fishing. Rednecks, only rednecks could come up with this kind of fishing, really. And I can say that because I was born in West Virginia, so I am 
a redneck at heart. So I know how rednecks think. I loved what Pastor Dave Mullen said at Holy Spirit Weekend in February. He goes, you know the last two words of a redneck? Watch this. Right? That's kind of, that's, that sums it right up. So noodling is about how rednecks fish. You know, we've got these giant channel catfish. These things can weigh 75 pounds or more. And they, they burrow in holes. They, they, they live in holes along the muddy banks of a dirty river, right? And that's what cat, catfish are bottom feeders. I mean, they're not exactly a pretty fish. So they live in the mud, down in the bottom, eating all the nasties. Rednecks came up with this great plan. Why don't we get into the water and we'll bury ourselves neck deep in this muddy water and then I'm going to stick my hand and I'm going to feel around under the water and feel for holes in the mud bank and then I'm going to, here's a great idea, stick my hand in that mud pole and hope the catfish bites it. That's a great idea. And then when the catfish bites it, I work my hand into the catfish's mouth and I hook it and I pull it out. And these good old boys, they got themselves some good catches. That's good eating right there, catfish. You know, I'm all for fishing, all for a good time. I'm not for using my own body as the bait. That's just not my concept of a good time. I like my arm. It, I'm kind of attached to it, and I'd like to keep it, right? These guys, wow, it's, it's fishing at a whole new level. And sometimes you've got to noodle a little bit to find out where God's going. You kind of have to do one of these, test the wind. Where's, where's the Holy Spirit leading? I've got, I got to, and, and uh, there's a lot of trial and error. I'm going to tell you up front, a lot of trial and error in the process. It's not a... There's not a formula. There's no three steps for it. So if you're looking for that this morning, uh, I'm going to disappoint you. <laughs> but, but I believe this with all my heart. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 11 says this. It says that God has also set eternity into the hearts of men. Though we cannot, we cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. That verse is true. I believe what that verse is saying is this, that every single human being on the planet has a hunger for God. Every single person has a hunger for God. God has set it in us. The way that the French, the 18th century French philosopher Blaise Pascal, he said it this way. He said, the, there's a God-shaped vacuum inside the soul, the heart of every man. And in essence, we're restless until we find the one who was made to fill that space in our hearts. But you know what we do is we're really good at denying that spiritual hunger in our souls, aren't we? We've, we've employed all kinds of methods to try to deny that spiritual hunger. Some people do it with busyness. Probably most people do it with busyness. You just get busy. Work, family, home, stuff, bills, busyness. And you know what? And when I'm busy, I don't really have to think about God much because I'm busy. But most people, here's what I've found, then there are those moments where the house gets quiet and where my life gets quiet. And everybody has those moments. And that's when I begin to hear 
the hunger pangs in my soul crying for God. I'm convinced everybody has, this, has felt that. But then what we do is we quickly get busy again because I don't want to, that's, that's an uncomfortable feeling because I get busy. Some people try to deny the hunger through philosophy. They, they reason that if I can ask enough questions and I can sound smart enough, well, then I don't really have to deal with God. But see, I'm not against philosophy. Philosophy is a really good, it's a good way to discipline and train your mind to think deeply. Philosophy is, it's, it's a great discipline. But without God, it's an empty pursuit. And it leads to confusion. It doesn't lead to answers. And some people love to think that they're smart because they can ask question after question after question after question. And they're like the perpetual skeptic. And they think as long as they can ask questions, I don't really have to deal with God much. But you see, eventually, some, eventually we've got to start doing something with the answers to the questions we got at the beginning. You can't just keep asking questions forever. Some people try to deny God's existence through science. They think that if I can explain it, well, then it must not be God. <laughs> I like how Albert Einstein said it. He said, science without religion is lame. Religion without science is blind. The two are not opposing. The two actually go together. And what science does is reveal how God did what he did. Look, at if I discover how a watch is made, it doesn't deny the existence of the watchmaker. In fact, it confirms the existence of the watchmaker, and it even praises him. Wow, what an amazing technician that person was to design this incredible piece of equipment, this watch, right? Just because I know how a watch goes together doesn't mean there's no watchmaker. So all science does is confirm what God has done. It's, it's awesome. But we tend to think, some people do, that if I can explain it, it must not be God. Nothing could be further from the truth. My only point is this. God has planted eternity into our hearts. And a lot of people do their very best to try to, try to ignore that hunger in the soul. And some people are obvious, like Zacchaeus, they hit rock bottom, and they're done trying to run, and they're like, yes, I'm over here, what must I do to be saved? Those guys are great, <laughs> but that's not most people. Most people were noodling. Most people were testing the waters. Most people were asking questions to try to discern where God's at in their lives so that we can join them there. Does this make sense? Are you following me? So this morning, that's what we want to look at. In Acts chapter 8, it's, uh, I want to look at the story of Philip. We don't even know the guy's name, this fella in the Bible. But we do know what he did for a living. He's an Ethiopian, well, we know his nationality, Ethiopian. We know that he's a eunuch, and we know that he is working for the treasurer of Queen Candace. Some versions call it Queen Candace. Mine says Kendake, which is... Uh, which was the queen of the Ethiopians. And so this guy, for whatever, he's a high-ranking government official in Ethiopia, right? And that's all we know about him. Let me just start with verse 26. Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, 
that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kendake, which means queen of the Ethiopians. I'm probably not saying that right, by the way. I don't... Kandake? I don't know. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. And on his way home, he was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading, Philip asked. How can I, unless someone explains it to me? So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who is the prophet talking about? Himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture, and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here's water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about, preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. So let's talk about this. Verse 26 says, an angel of the Lord says, hey, Phil, I want you to go down the desert road. The desert road. It's the dark alley. It's the seedy neighborhood. It's the road you wouldn't normally go down. I want you to go down the desert road, Philip. And then we discover why. Remember, this is being written. The book of Acts was written by Luke. And so Luke is telling us the story of what happened, right? And so Luke then, in verse 27 and 28, kind of gives us a little parenthetical background. So he starts by telling you, the Spirit tells Philip, go down the desert road. And then he backs up and he says, and he introduces us to this Ethiopian. And he says, this guy, he's riding in his chariot, and he's reading the book of Isaiah, and he just came from Jerusalem, right? And then suddenly in the text, Luke bounces back up to verse 29, and now you have Philip walking down the desert road, and the Spirit tells Philip, hey, go to that chariot over there and stand near it. Now, I want to just highlight something here. We tend to over-spiritualize these guys in the Bible. We, th- we think of these Bible characters as like they floated on air and they heard angel voices all the time and they played harps. You understand, Philip is a normal person like you and me. He's just a guy. You get that, right? And, and we tend to over-spiritualize how God speaks to them. When we think that God, when it says that the angel of the Lord said to Philip, We picture like the heavens parting and the angel choir singing and a light coming down. What if it was not that grandiose? In fact, I would propose it probably wasn't. I propose that in the moment, 
Philip wouldn't have even known for sure that it was God. Because that's the way that it works. Most of the time, you don't know for sure that it's God that's nudging you to do something. You might have a hunch. Sometimes you have a hunch. Sometimes you don't even have a hunch at all. Sometimes you're completely innocent in the process. What, what if, what if there's a taco stand down the desert road there and Philip just wanted a taco and it happened to be down that desert road? And so Philip's like, I want a taco and the taco bell's down there and he starts walking down the road towards the taco stand and then he sees the chariot over there and now this guy is a high-ranking government official, so he's in one of those really cool chariots, you know, the black SUV chariots with the tinted windows, one of those. The guy's there, and Philip's walking down the road, and he's like, man, that's a cool-looking chariot. And he runs over to take, a, to take a look at the chariot, get a closer look. And he walks over, and then he hears the guy reading from the book of Isaiah, and Philip goes, ah, I got it. Okay. I see this. And he begins to engage in the conversation. I would propose to you that that's probably more like how it happened. The Bible doesn't tell us that Philip had some kind of extraordinary experience. It's the prompting of the Spirit. And that's how the Spirit prompts us. You'll, you'll, sometimes, friends, we lock God up in committee in our lives. You know what I mean? You sense the Spirit leading, and you say, well, I'm going to wait. Let me, let me just get 16 confirmations about that, four prophetic words, three signs from God, and then I'll know absolutely that it's you. Friend, give it up. It's not going to work that way. Instead, follow the prompting of God in your life. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But follow it. So Philip is running over to this chariot, and he hears the guy reading from the book of Isaiah, and Philip immediately goes, ah, I've heard this before. He knew that passage of Scripture. And then Philip asks him a noodling question. He says, so, do you understand what you're reading? I mean, modernize that statement. It would be, so, uh, what's your take on that? What do you, are, are you, are you, what do you make? of what you're reading there, buddy. What are you making of it? Philip knew. He recognized the, the prophet Isaiah. So what are you making of it? You know, sometimes you got to ask questions like that in order to poke. The guy could have completely dissed Philip. He could have. Philip didn't know what kind of reception he would receive. He just asks him the question. So what, are you on, what do you make of what it is that you're reading there, my friend? And the guy goes, man, I don't know. I can't, under, I can't make heads. It's all Greek to me. It's, uh, I don't get, and it was Greek. That's kind of the funny part. So, you know, the, he's, he doesn't understand it. And then the guy invites Philip into his chariot. And then this is the passage we read. This is the passage that he was reading. And we discover it's a passage right out of Isaiah chapter 53. It's one of the clearest references in the prophet Isaiah to the person of Jesus. And Isaiah lived 600 years before Jesus, right? So it's Isaiah's prophesying, and now this guy is reading about Jesus in the book of Isaiah. And then verse 34, the eunuch asked Philip this question. Now remember, they've started down the road again. 
the chariot is whatever chariots did. They're riding down the road, and they're having this conversation now. And the eunuch says, Philip, can you tell me who, who is this? Is this Isaiah, or is this somebody else that's being talked about here? That's a legit question. That's a good question. The eunuch is curious. He wants to know. And then verse 35 is really important. Don't overlook verse 35. It says, Philip began with that very passage of Scripture, with that very passage of Scripture, and told him the good news about Jesus. Sometimes in our zeal, we fail to listen. And listening is a really important part of sharing Jesus with somebody. I have to be willing to listen to where they're at first and turn off my spiel, my little Christian spiel that I want to just dump on somebody, shut that down, and listen to where they're at. Philip listened to where he was, heard the man's question, started there, answered his question, and then from there began to unpack the story of Jesus it's told through the Bible. Probably one of the best things that you can do next month, the best things you can do when you're talking with somebody about Jesus, listen. It'll tell you a lot. It'll tell you a lot. If you just listen. You've got to noodle a little. And by noodling, I mean you've got to ask some questions. And I've I got to say, I don't know, there's not a... There's no book. I, I wish I could give you a book of 100 great questions to ask when you're noodling, okay? But I can give you a couple that I, that I do, and these aren't, these aren't uh, by no means the authority, so please don't hear that. I'm not, I'm not putting this on you. But I want to just give you some samples so that you get an idea for what I'm talking about, okay? So, like, for example, we just, we just had this movie, The Shack, that was playing in theaters not too long ago. That's a great noodling question. Hey, have you seen the movie Shaq? Have you seen that movie? If they haven't, okay, you move on. That's fine. No biggie. If they have, well, now you've got something further to talk about. See what I mean? That's a noodle question. Or how about I like to ask people, what was growing up, what church did you go to? Did you go to any church growing up? What was that like for you? I asked growing up, because I don't want to ask where somebody's going to church now because they invariably feel guilty. Oh, yeah, it's been six years. and uh, That's not my point. I don't want to make you. I'm not trying to do that, right? I want to know where you're at. I'm trying to, you see what I mean? You're noodling. So, so where did you come from? What church did you grow up in? What, what did you go as a kid? What was that like for you as a kid? Somebody that grew up in a Catholic home, and I say this, let me, let me qualify this. Listen, this conflict between Catholics and Protestants is crazy. It's not good. My goal is to not convert somebody, okay? What I like to say is this. If you know Jesus, it'll make you a better Catholic. I'm all about Jesus. If, if you know Jesus, it'll make you a better Baptist. It'll make you a better Lutheran, right? I'm, I'm not interested in where you sit on a Sunday morning. I'm, I'm interested in where your heart's at with God. I want you to know Jesus. Follow? So let me clarify that. 
And let me say that to you. If you know Jesus, you're a better New River person. And in fact, I would say to you this morning, if you don't know Jesus, you're wasting your time here. Really, I mean, it's the truth. I I, I love you. So I want you to know Jesus because he's what this is all about. Like without him, this is empty. That's what I mean. So if if you don't know Jesus, you might as well be an IHOP, you know, but but, but come here because we'll tell you about Jesus. And maybe you'll get to know about Jesus and you'll hear about him and you'll trust him. But that's what it's about. See? So, so I'm not interested in converting a Catholic. That's really not my goal. I just want them to know Jesus. So I ask this question a lot of times with Catholics. I love this question. So what did your confirmation mean to you? You get lots of great answers. And it also opens the door for some tremendous conversation about Jesus. Do you follow? Yeah, I hope just three examples, noodling questions. They're just, you're just testing the waters to see where God's at work, to see what's going on. It's all you're doing. That's soul noodling. And so Philip is riding down the road with this guy. And he must have talked about baptism at some point because as they drive by, they drive by a pool of water or something, a puddle or whatever, and the guy goes, hey, What's stopping me from getting baptized right now? And Philip says, nothing. Let's do it. They stop the chariot. He dunks him. He gets baptized. Let me say something about that real quickly. Friends, in the American Christian church, we get baptism all wrong. We've turned baptism into something that you have to prepare for. We've turned baptism into something that you have to work six months on, take six months of classes, and then serve God for 10 years impeccably, and then you might be qualified. You might be good enough to get baptized. Friends, baptism is not for mature Christians. Baptism is the first step. It's one of the very first steps in a person's walk with Christ. It's not one of the last steps. Are we tracking with that, right? But we've somehow turned it into that, and I don't know why, and I don't even know how we got to this place, but it bothers me deeply, because baptism is just, it's basic. It's Christianity 101. It's the second step. Romans chapter 10, it says that if, if you believe in your heart that God raised Christ from the dead, and you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved. Baptism is the confession with my mouth. It's me publicly Standing before people going, hi, I'm Doug Rouse. I have decided to follow Jesus. Now, from there, I don't know where, you know, God's going to take me. It's going to be great, I'm sure. But this is where I begin. See, that's baptism. Okay? We've way, way overcomplicated it. Way overcomplicated it. What we've done is we've turned it into religion is what we've done. It's, religion has gotten its tentacles around it and completely robbed us of this really valuable gift. So Philip baptizes the guy, and then suddenly, and I'm not even going to, I can't explain this. I admit I don't understand. It's mysterious. Suddenly, the Philip just disappears. It's like Spock called him up, and he beamed him somewhere, right? Philip disappears, and I don't know how that looked or what that was. To be totally truthful, I don't, and I don't even want to speculate. But Philip finds himself at Azotus, and then Philip begins to preach around the area, and he ends up in the city of Caesarea, and he's preaching in Caesarea. 
Friends, here's the deal. Give God your schedule. Give God your schedule. Because if you want to enjoy divine appointments, you need to understand divine appointments are not going to happen when it's most convenient for you. In fact, most of them happen at very inconvenient times, like the DMV, right? Or you're getting your oil changed, or you're, you know, you're sitting there at the oil, at the jiffy lube, waiting for oil to change, or you're, you're, you're changing a tire, or you're whatever. It's amazing. The truth is, divine appointments can happen anytime, anywhere, under any circumstance. <laughs> Are you willing to let God dictate your schedule and change it on you in a dime so that you can participate in what God's doing? Are you willing to follow the nudge? Okay, let's demystify it. You're not waiting for the angel choir to visit you in the morning when you wake up and give you your plan for the day. No, 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 no. I'm just, I'm just enjoying Jesus today. I'm enjoying Jesus today. I'm going through my day. I'm working hard at work. I'm doing my stuff, right? I got my eyes on Jesus. And I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm working. You're a good employee. You're a, you're a good worker. Work hard. Do all, you got your eyes on Jesus. And, and then God puts these things together. And sometimes it's really simple. Don't deny the nudge. You know, maybe your urge for an ice cream cone, maybe that's from God. And you end up at the Dairy Queen, and there's somebody there who's just ready to talk about Jesus. Hey, the very least that happens is you get an ice cream cone. And the most that happens, you were a part of something really cool that God did. I mean, that's like a win-win as far as I'm concerned, right? Man, I'm feeling the urge for ice cream all the time now. Tacos, yes. That's how it works. You go, yeah, but... You know what? That's Philip. He's an apostle. I'm not an apostle. I'm just me. Can I take you to Romans chapter 10? I'm going to close here. Romans chapter 10. It says this in verse 13. It says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. These verses contain a promise and a problem. The promise is this, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's a wonderful promise. Everyone, regardless of who you are, where you are, where you're from, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord. But then there's the condition, they have to call upon the name of the Lord to be saved, right? 
So in other words, salvation, let me explain it, is available to everyone. But it's only applied to those who call in the name of Jesus for it. It's a common mistake that people make. They think that just because I grew up in a Christian family, or I went to church once in a while, that I must be good. But that's not how it goes. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord must be saved. I, I need to make that decision, right? I, I wish so badly I could make that decision for you. I can't. That's your decision between you and God. You call upon the Lord, you will be saved. That's the promise. But here's the problem. Well, how can somebody call on Jesus if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless somebody tells them? And how can somebody tell them unless somebody actually goes to tell them? Right? Will you be that one? Will you be that one? Jesus was never meant to be a secret. He was meant to be something that we proclaim from the mountaintops and the rooftops. Will you be that one? Want to play for us, sweetheart? So I just want to close with a story, and I just share this with you to encourage you. Um, when I was in college, I graduated 30 years ago hard to believe. The four years that I was in college, I went every Friday night down to Brooklyn and uh, did a Bible club with kids in Brooklyn through a church. And I got to be honest with you, every Friday night, the highlight of the night, most of the time was going to get pizza, famous raised pizza, 6th Avenue and 11th Street in Greenwich Village. Fantastic pizza, right? Because honestly, these kids were rough. They were rough, and they're city kids. They're inner city rough kids, right? And there were a lot of Friday nights I didn't think anything was going on, and it was pretty frustrating, but I stuck with it. Four years, the pizza was good. And then graduated and moved on, ministry, family, all that great stuff. Eight years ago, eight years ago, my dad is in Uruguay. My dad is retired, a retired chemical engineer, and he does a, he does a lot of short-term missions trips. He's uh, 77 years old, just got back from, uh, he's been to China, all over. And so eight years ago, I, I like to joke, he's spending my inheritance on missions trips. And that's fine by me. Every dime. Use it for the Lord. But Eight years ago, he's in Uruguay, and he's speaking at a church there, and a guy comes up to him afterwards, and the guy goes, you're Ed Rouse? Yep. Is your son Doug Rouse? My dad said, yeah. And then he said, I'd like you to say thank you to him, because 30 years ago, or this, at this point, it was 20-something years ago, I grew up in Brooklyn, and I went to his Bible club on Friday nights, and now that guy's a missionary in Uruguay. I had no idea, right? You just never know. You just never know. 
you just never know. You have to just be faithful in the moment, friend, to ask your question, to love the person, listen to them. You just never know how that is going to take root and how that takes effect in a person's life. That's not our responsibility. Our responsibility is to be faithful to share it. That's my job, right? So be faithful. Let me just end one more little uh, piece. We'll circle back in this story. So the very last verse in Acts chapter 8 tells us that Philip, after he baptized the guy, disappears, and he ends up in Caesarea. Did you catch that part? It's the last part of chapter 8 there. If you go two chapters ahead to Acts chapter 10, you meet a guy named Cornelius. Cornelius is a Roman soldier, tough, rumble Roman soldier guy. Cornelius has an encounter with God. And through a miraculous set of circumstances, calls the apostle Peter to come. And Peter comes to Cornelius' house, and his entire household gives their, gives their hearts to Jesus and trusts him right in faith. The whole household gets saved, we're told. Cornelius is a very big man of influence. And, and then you discover where he's from. I almost gave it away. The punchline. You know where he was? Caesarea. Caesarea. So wait a second. You mean the prompting that Philip had to go down the desert road? He checks out a black SUV, government-issued chariot, thinks it's cool, talks to a guy who's reading the book of Isaiah, baptizes that guy, ends up in Caesarea. Do you see the connections? The same is true in your life and mine. Be encouraged. Would you stand? Father God, I just thank you for these friends of mine. I pray your blessing upon them. And I pray, Lord, I pray that you would, uh, oh God, set them up. Set them up, Lord, I pray. Set them up. I want to invite you, friend, as we're here with our eyes closed praying, will you give God your schedule? Just give him your schedule. Can you trust him with it? Can you trust him? If you give him your schedule, you'll still get all your work done. You'll still get your family taken care of. You'll still get your finances met. You just give him your schedule. Give it to him. He'll, he'll manage it. And he will fill your schedule with divine appointments. Are you willing to trust him in that today? just going to invite you to our altar here as we close in singing and if that's your desire you say yeah I'll, I'll give I want to give God my schedule it's his um, I invite you to come and join me here you know maybe even to this morning you, you thought you know uh, I know I hit it kind of hard a minute ago about knowing Jesus maybe you don't know Jesus oh please know friend I we love you and uh we would love nothing more than this morning to be able to pray with you and introduce you to our best friend. So I'd invite you to come. We can talk about that here, okay? But as the worship team leads us in singing, you come and let's give God our schedules.